I'm so uh, delighted to, um, to welcome today, uh, on behalf of the Dean and the Church of the Advent, our, our preacher, the Reverend Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, he is an author, uh, very widely published. He's the pastor and senior minister of First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, he is a professor of systematic theology at the Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, and just very widely regarded and uh, a personal hero. Uh, of minds. We are so glad to have you uh, here today, Dr. Ferguson. Uh, Dr. Ferguson will preach after we sing together hymn number 555. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and praise you that he is our true teacher and preacher through his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we pray that today, through the accent of man, we may begin to hear the accent and voice of our Lord Jesus Christ, and be enabled by your grace to say to him, Speak, Lord Jesus, for your servant is listening. Teach us, speak to us, we pray. Draw us near to our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it for our blessing, for his glory, and for the good of the world in which we live. In his strong name. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture reading this afternoon is from the Gospel according to Luke. And I want to read there in chapter 18, verses 10 through 13. And uh, as some of you may want to turn there, let me just take a moment uh, both to thank the Dean and the Chapter of the Cathedral for their very warm and generous invitation, for the staff who have made me so wonderfully welcome for these two days, and uh, also to say that as we turn to Scripture, just to give you a moment to retune from some of the South Carolinian accents that you're accustomed to hearing to a somewhat different accent and uh, to pray that as in these minutes we read God's word, it won't be too long before you have forgotten the unusual accent because you are listening to, I hope, the familiar accent of the Saviour, Jesus. Well, here is our passage from today as we hear God's word. Jesus also told this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Most of us love the parables of the Lord Jesus. They fall, I suppose, in simple terms, into two different kinds. There are many parables in the Gospels often described as parables of the kingdom 
which are really explanations of how things work in the kingdom of God. What it's like to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And they often begin with words such as the kingdom of God is like this. So parables that tell us how the kingdom works and what we may expect as citizens in that kingdom. And then there are other parables. In a sense, the other parables are riddles of a different kind. And here, one of the dominant questions is, which person gets to heaven? You know, they're like those Mensa tests that you find in the back these days of the uh, airplane magazines that you used to be able to do when you were 25, but get more difficult when you get into your 60s. Tell the difference and explain the difference between these two things. And this very familiar story is, of course, a which man gets to heaven story. The scene is a familiar one. Almost certainly in this story, Jesus is imagining the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh, what Episcopalians throughout the world have often celebrated as choral evensong. Late in the afternoon, God's people gathering for worship, and of course, in these days of the temple, gathering for the evening sacrifice. I think you can imagine the scene, uh, as it were, if you uh, were watching from the, the Goodyear blimp overhanging some sports occasion. You see these two men waking their way up the hill to the temple in Jerusalem. Somehow or another, your eye is caught by both of them, and uh, they actually belong to the same church, don't they? They belong to the same denomination. Uh, you will take it in good humor if I say they actually were both Presbyterians. Because uh, the denomination to which they belonged, you remember, was governed by the elders, at least to a certain extent. And so they have external similarities. And they both come to the evening service. Probably one of them has already been there during the day. The other looks as though this is a rare occasion for him. And they both stand in ways in which it's easy to see them. One of them stands in a position just by himself. And the other is described as standing far off. He, he sees the crowd of people for the prayer service, but uh, he keeps himself a little to the side. And they both engage in exactly the same activity. They both pray. They both address the same God. And to the extent that they both know it, they are both familiar with the same creed. One of them struggles a little. When it comes to the beginning of the school year, I don't usually cast my eyes round the congregation but when it comes to saying the Apostles' Creed, I'll lift my eyes up in order to tell who the new students are as they fumble for the order of service, unused as they are to saying the Creed. But both of these men had the same Creed. And yet, at least we think, Jesus doesn't make it too hard to spot the difference. 
take the Pharisee. You would probably recognize him by his dress. Any of you who fly from the United States, for example, to Tel Aviv, will be very familiar with uh, people who dress in a distinctive Jewish fashion. This man is a Pharisee. He's a conservative believer, unlike the group known as the Sadducees. The Jews, of course, had their liberals and they had their conservatives. And this man is undoubtedly a conservative. Huge respect for the law of God. Not only keeping the commandments, but seeking to keep all the other commandments that would enable him to keep the commandments. This man is a serious believer. And he's also fairly disciplined. Not just at Lent, but every single week he fasts on two separate occasions. And if you're a church treasurer, there will be a little sparkle in your eyes when you hear him say that he fasts twice a week and he tithes everything he possesses. Now, the Jews weren't required to tithe absolutely everything they possessed, but this man is leaving absolutely nothing out utterly consecrated in his giving and he seeks to live a life of complete moral integrity in fact if you had this man in your congregation there may be some exceptions this church pray God may be an exception but if this man and his kin were in almost every conservative congregation in the United States, the church's finances would immediately double, perhaps treble, or quadruple. This is the kind of man who brings certain advantages into his church. And I have a neat idea, at least I think I have a neat idea, Let's pretend just for the sake of the occasion that he is actually a Presbyterian and uh, I'll get some of my elders to give him a membership interview. I'm making these questions up because they're not the questions we happen to ask in Colombia, but they're pretty good questions. Sir, how different is your life because of your faith? Well, he says, I, if there is one thing I can thank God for, it is that he has made a difference to my life. Sir, this is a rather prominent church, and uh, it's very important for us as we receive new members just to make sure that, that we're not going to find ourselves in any kind of scandalous situation. And he says, well, I thank God that I've been kept from open sin. Well, sir, one of the tests of faith is uh, your disposition towards others. How do you respond to others? Well, he says, just as I was coming up today to the service, I noticed a, I noticed a tax collector there. And uh, I thought to myself, there but for the grace of God go I. Well, that's very encouraging, I must say. And your spiritual disciplines... Well, I, I, I don't talk about these things if I can avoid it in public, but um, 
I, I, I've sought to live a very disciplined life. I fast twice a week and, uh, and such is the eagerness of one of the younger elders that he doesn't realize you never talk about money. Presbyterians are Scottish by and large. But he blurts out, and your givings, you're, and, and have you faithfully given? He says, well actually, says, I, I rarely talk about this, uh, but uh, I, I give a tenth of everything to the church. Ah, you're already a fine Presbyterian. Very subtle, isn't it? Not a bad list of qualifications for membership in God's church. But then there's this other fellow. It may seem to be just a little off the subject to ask you this question. Have you ever forgotten to pay your monthly MasterCard or Visa bill? I suppose many of us here, we, we use it simply as a convenience and we pay it, up, pay it off at the end of the month. But have you ever done what I've done on two occasions despite vowing after the first I would never do this again? Have you ever discovered the interest rates when you don't pay your bill plus the little penalties that follow? And uh, have you ever had that amazing moment of joy where you thank God for MasterCard and Visa because of the interest charges they put onto your bill. Many of us here, I guess, if I know Americans, would like smaller government, but I don't think many of us would want that government to be run by MasterCard or Visa, would we? Not at those interest rates. This man was MasterCard. He was Fortune 500 tax collector, or better, tax farmer. Whatever was owed, he added his own interest onto it. That's almost certainly the reason that he had moved to Jerusalem. That was the place for the fat cat tax collectors, and probably this man was one of them. But he's not very often at the services. And it's pretty clear from the way Jesus paints him, although I think often this has been misunderstood, that uh, this is not really familiar surroundings for him. For one thing, his behavior is uh, frankly embarrassing. He doesn't actually join in. He's a, he must be a Presbyterian. He always sits in the back seat, or even further back if he can possibly manage it and, and uh, he does something no Jewish man despite what we think no Jewish man, no self-respecting Jewish man would ever do he beat his chest in prayer now you think you've seen that in the Middle East but actually what you've seen in the Middle East is women doing that not men and so there's something almost unseemly about his behaviour and uh, he he doesn't know the liturgy, he doesn't know how to pray, he has this one sentence prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now the question is this, which of these two men gets to heaven? Let me give you six reasons why it couldn't be this tax collector. First of all, he's an extortioner. Second, he's unjust. Thirdly, he may well be 
as the Pharisee suggests, an adulterer. Fourthly, he can't look God in the face when he prays. Fifthly, this is probably the first time he's been at a service for ages. And sixthly, he doesn't know anything about how you approach God in prayer. Have you been taught acts? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. He doesn't know anything about that. He just blurts it out. And let me give you six reasons why it probably is the Pharisee. First of all, because he's a man who knows how to pray. Second, because he's a man who thanks God for what he has and does. Thirdly, because he lives a changed and disciplined life. Fourthly, because he's different from other people in his society. Fifthly, because he actually lives a far better life than this tax collector. And here's the clincher. It's probably the Pharisee because he's a lot more like who? It's probably the Pharisee because he's a lot more like me than the tax collector. So why does Jesus say which of these two men is justified? Which of these two men gets to heaven? Why does he say it's the tax collector? Well, it's because of what the Pharisee doesn't say. In all his prayers, he never asks because he does not feel the need for mercy or a savior or salvation. But the tax collector knows that before God, for all his riches, he is utterly bankrupt. And it's interesting, he doesn't cry out like Bartimaeus, have mercy on me son of David what Luke actually expresses to us is that this tax collector cried out oh God be propitiated towards me that is to say oh God is there not a sacrifice available for sins like this and what at least to me is so intriguing is that uh, within a few weeks of telling this parable, at exactly the same time in the afternoon, the tax collector's prayer was gloriously answered. He cried out, O oh God, is there not a sacrifice that can be found anywhere that will take away my sins? And at the time of the evening sacrifice, our Lord Jesus cried out on the cross as the Lamb of God destined to take away the sins of the world. My God, why am I forsaken? And in a sense, the answer to that question was precisely this. Because there was once a tax collector came into the service and cried out to God, O oh God, can you send me 
a savior. Two men came into the cathedral for the lunch hour service. One was in every respect, it seemed, the kind of person you would want in your church. But he'd never in his life asked for mercy. The other was a man who'd made bankruptcy of his life. And there was just something about the service that made him cry out inwardly, Oh God, could you show that kind of mercy to me in Jesus Christ? And that would be the man who would leave destined for heaven. This is, this is one of those mirror stories of Jesus. He's holding up two men to us and saying, So, which one gets to heaven? And by implication, dear listener, make sure that by seeking mercy and salvation in me, your destiny is settled for all eternity. Well, it forces me at least to ask, Lord, show me which one I am. Show me my need for your mercy. And reassure me that in Jesus Christ, all my sins may be forgiven and new life may begin. I've no idea who anyone in this room is. So it's fair for me to ask. Are you one of the ones who's getting to heaven because you've said, Oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's stand together for prayer and for the Lord's blessing. Lord Jesus, thank you for the sheer fascination of your word and for the way in which it grips us by its truth and power such as we pray and know our hearts and draw all of us by your Holy Spirit to faith in Jesus Christ, to know daily that he has died for our sins and is a risen Savior who is at your right hand constantly praying for us and able to save us to the uttermost. And as by faith we look to him and trust in him, we pray that you would seal in our hearts, your own word of benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the strengthener and comforter, be with you all this day and forevermore.